Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial podcast and commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial, a perspective to help you win, not just endure. Available in both paperback and Kindle on the Amazon book platform. Written by Charles P. Malone. Welcome to part three of episode five, some basic truths in the book, The Sweetness of Trial. This really uh, shouldn't be hard concept for you to accept. All human beings are created in the image of God. For the alternative to accepting the truth that we were created in the image of God is opened a Pandora's box to what then? So our belief in the origin of man is deeply rooted and supported by ancient scripture, albeit Christian or Jewish. The first book in the Old Testament Bible declares boldly that God created man in his own image. The prophet Moses, speaking as an earthly mouthpiece for God, declares for time and all eternity how the world and its inhabitants were created and by whom. And I quote, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 1, 27. Truth is truth from the beginning of time throughout all eternity. It originates from one source and all subsequent revelations of truth emanating from the heavens are in harmony with one another. The omnipotent creator of both heaven and earth had shown to Moses the prophet, the great lawgiver of ancient Israel, everything pertaining to the construction of this planet. He declared such in writing for all to know. It has always fascinated me how ancient scripture could have survived the passing of time, exposure to the elements, thievery, and so on, without losing parts and pieces which would be instrumental in providing the whole truth. Yet, even with guidance from the hand of God in preserving these accounts for later translations into one common work of Scripture, there are parts of the Bible lacking in definition and content. The partial obscurity of missing parts has a basis, no doubt, in the loss of these plain and precious truths of ancient and sacred writings, which have been removed from original scripture and lay forgotten and undiscovered down through the centuries. But God would not have his children live on this planet without evidence of their beginnings, even if it required some faith on the part of the reader to accept and believe. Some of these missing parts were restored by the modern-day prophet Joseph Smith, under the spirit of revelation, resulting in a more complete account of our origin as spirits in a life before this and of the creation. Lost scripture written by the hand of Moses and revealed by God to the prophet Joseph Smith is contained in the book of Moses, a writing contained within sacred scripture known as the Pearl of Great Price. The following is an excerpt from these revealed writings, and I quote, And every planet, 
plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For I, the Lord God, created all things of which I have spoken spiritually before they were naturally upon the face of the earth. For I, the Lord God, had not caused it to rain upon the face of the earth, and I, the Lord God, had created all the children of men, and not yet a man to till the ground. For in heaven created I them, and there was not yet flesh upon the earth, neither in the water, neither in the air. Or if you want to call that neither, I know that I was raised to speak Holbrook, which I'd like to make sure that you know. <laughs> but I, the Lord God, spake, and there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And my, man became a living soul, the first flesh upon the earth, the first man also. Nevertheless, all things were before created, but spiritually were they created and made according to my word. So this is in Moses uh, chapter 3, 4 to 7, Moses 1, Moses 2. Just read the book of Moses and, and then compare with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Additional accounts found in the New Testament support the early Christian and Jewish accounts of man's origin and image. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the express image of his Father, found in Hebrews 1.3. I love the interaction between Jesus and his early disciples, found in the book of John, the 14th chapter. The disciples are curious, excited to know for themselves that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. Jesus answers their questions, but leads and teaches us as he does so. He establishes the true order between his Father and himself. Jesus declares in verse 6 of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, who will pay a ransom and did pay a ransom with the giving of his life for you and me. Philip asks, wanting to believe the words spoken by Jesus, but still lacking the faith to do so. And I quote, show us the Father and it will satisfy. That's in John 14, 8. And Jesus responds with, quote, if, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That's in John 14, 9. This response from Jesus should be sufficient for most of us who are seeking to strengthen our faith. We believe Jesus was created in the image of God. We, when Jesus was resurrected, he maintained that image after his crucifixion, as evidenced by those who saw him, spoke with him, and ate with him. Yet scripture can be interpreted in many ways. We know that. And this same interchange between Jesus and his disciples could be interpreted to support the notion that there is no separation between the Father and the Son, that in fact the Son is the Father. Thus, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 
Well, it's not my intention to defend one interpretation over another in this writing, my brothers and sisters. This is, after all, a book about trial and how to deal with it. But as mentioned previously, developing an unshakable faith in the purpose of trial is paramount to surviving this mortal existence. There is great truth and practical application to this scripture found in 2 Corinthians, and I quote, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That's in 2 Corinthians 13.1. I do believe that includes scripture. The purpose of trial is connected inseparably with man's origin and relationship to God. My upbringing in another faith left many questions as to the completeness of our origin. It was not until I read the account of Joseph Smith, a young boy who claimed the privilege of seeing both God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, as two separate and distinct personages did I come to know after much prayer and searching for my own answer, that we are indeed created in the express image of God, as recorded in Scripture. If man, if God made man, the first man, in his own image and likeness, and consistent with this revelation, then Jesus Christ was also created in God's image and likeness. He is his Son, I am the son of Woodrow. I am created in his image. Then this scripture in the revealed book of Moses 2, verse 26, and I quote, And I, God, said unto mine only begotten, which was with me from the beginning, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it was so, end quote should further testify as a second or third witness that each of us is a beloved spirit son or daughter of heavenly parents. And as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. This is found in the family, a proclamation to the world. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was foreordained by the Lord before he came to earth and I quote, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. We lived in a pre-mortal existence before coming to this earth, where we lived with other spirit siblings. That's why I call you my brothers and sisters. Abraham of old declared, and I quote, Now the Lord has shown unto me, Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. And among all those, there were many of the noble and great ones. Abraham 3.22, in the Pearl of Great Price. And in Ecclesiastics 12, verse 7. The words of counsel given, which refers to all things returning to the God who made it, including the spirit of man. First Peter 3 and 4 testifies of spirits in prison after completing their mortal probation on earth. Peter teaches those who were sometimes disobedient while on earth were placed in spirit confinement while awaiting the time when the gospel would be preached to them. 
In Acts 17, 28, the Apostle Paul tells the men of Athens that we are all his offspring, referring to God our Father. These are just a few of the spiritual accounts recorded for the world to read and gain their own testimony of our life before earth. We are God's offspring. We were created in his image and likeness. He does love us, each one of us, no matter the spiritual condition we find ourselves in at this time. As my mother taught over and over again, and I quote her, listen to your body. Oh man, I just remember her voice when I had a question that was deep as a young man growing and I would have a question. She would say, well, listen to your body. My humble request is that you do just that, but pray first. And if you shall ask, this is a quote, if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. Well, there was a war in heaven over agency. As spirit intelligences, we lacked certain qualities and characteristics which would allow us to progress as eternal beings. We needed a physical body and a mortal experience to test and strengthen us to become like our Heavenly Father in both character and form. We know there was a war of faith among God's spirit children and that a plan of salvation was presented. This is in Revelations 12, 4 and 7 to 9. John, while on the island of Patmos, writes of a great war in heaven in which Lucifer, a prince of the morning, and one-third of Heavenly Father's children were cast out because they would rob man of the freedom of choice. The scriptures say that we, you and I, clapped for joy. And this is in Job 38, 7. When it was announced, we would receive the freedom of choice while on earth as part of the full earthly experience, a chance to prove ourselves, to be tested and tried, to choose right from wrong, even if it meant some might be lost. I can only imagine the joy and apprehension we felt in anticipation of our sojourn into mortal life. I would expect that we still had concerns and reservations about what lies ahead from the often heated debate between the differing factions of God's children. The topic of agency was presented by Lucifer as an unwarranted risk, a flaw in an otherwise perfect plan. Yet it is that agency that makes the plan work as intended. I do not believe life is deterministic or preset by a God who determines in advance the outcome of our earthly experience. But I do, however, believe in a God who knows us so well, knows our character and our weaknesses, and is so perfect in his love for us that he has perfect foreknowledge of the choices we, his children, are most likely to make. We as parents have a similar, albeit less perfect, insight into the character of our children. We watched with happiness and pride when our children made choices in life we agreed with, and then we were filled with sore anticipation of things to come when choices were made that did not fit the correct choice category. We learned from our own choices that certain roads traveled 
lead to unhappiness and pain. Because we love our children, we want to use the benefits of our experience to save them from similar trials and hardships. Heavenly Father also loves us more than we could ever imagine, and He also wants us to be happy and have joy in this life. And knowing our potential, He sometimes uses His perfect knowledge of us to guide us and prompt us, if we will listen, by means of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. But He won't take away our agency to choose. Elder James E. Talmadge uh, lived uh, 1862 to 1933 of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at that time explained it this way, God knows what each of us will do under given conditions and sees the end from the beginning. His foreknowledge is based on intelligence and reason. He foresees the future as a state which naturally and surely will be, not as one which must be, because he has arbitrarily willed that it shall be. So what purpose does agency have in giving me comfort and direction in the trial I am currently going through? Well, the answer lies in the choices that were made prior to the trial and after. One of my significant trials happened as a direct result of choices I made regarding the purchase of a business. I love ice cream, almost any flavor, with or without nuts, cookies, or raw dough. I just love the sensation of cold moving through my lips, mouth, and throat with just a hint of sweetness, not too sweet or fruity, but rather a smooth, could-eat-the-entire-carton kind of sweetness. You know what I mean. Anyway, I thought this love for ice cream meant that I should own my own ice cream franchise because when a real estate friend of mine called to tell me one was available in my area, I jumped at the chance to own it. Now, what I should have understood at the time was that it wasn't an ice cream store, complete with lease, leaks, broken windows, break-ins, equipment maintenance, employee issues, taxes, and bills to pay that I wanted. But rather, I just wanted to play real estate agent full-time and wanted another income to support my family while I built my real estate business. But I blindly saw a love for ice cream as a means to semi-retirement. Instead of semi-retirement, my wife and I fondly referred to this period in our life as three years in hell, sorry about that, making light and somewhat self-incriminating reference to this trial in our life years later shows that even the worst of circumstances eventually end up a distant memory, some even laughable. But yet, even with this trial, we can look back and see some good. For instance, although my wife had never aspired to work professionally outside the home, she was nevertheless dragged into this experience with me. I could not run the crew of 14 young teenagers by myself, do the necessary marketing to grow the business, and all the other demands of running a small retail business. I needed help. And with a little extortion, uh, we called it a little red sports car for transportation, she agreed. But Linda proved to be an excellent manager. She has abilities that I don't have, and they seem to be perfect for managing the hormones of 15-year-old girls who thought of her as their surrogate mother. She proved she is dependable and consistent in her work ethic. She was never late. 
She didn't have to be reminded of her responsibilities, and soon it became as much her business and her staff as mine. I gained a new respect for my wife, which would never have been possible without her coming to my rescue and departing from her safe and secure role at home to become a temporary retail manager. And of course, she wanted to bring home every stray girl with a hard luck story that entered our life. She would put them right to work and become a self-appointed guardian, even to the point of chasing off scruffy young men who had come around the, the business trying to flirt with her girls. Linda is passive by nature, non-confrontational, and a peacemaker. Yet I saw her hair stand on end as she fought to pull one girl out of the abusive grasp of her, of her boyfriend. She wasn't afraid to stand up to anyone who might injure her charges. As her own children will attest, don't wake the sleeping bear. Another benefit and blessing was the opportunity to provide an outlet for our older children to learn how to work outside the home and interact with the pain public. Our three oldest children learn how to cook basic fast food fare, create marvelous ice cream confections, and even exchange currency on our less than digital cash register. As for the younger Malones, it was all about the food. They thought they had just inherited Disneyland when they came to eat. We increased sales over 25% each year we owned the franchise, but that still wasn't enough to overcome the inherent obsolescence of the building. Hidden between a tire store and a two-story hotel, restrictive cooking area, and no interior seating, really, had I done my due diligence before I offered to purchase the business, I would have realized it was a 24-7, 365-day operation that someone would need to manage. And it was after we had purchased the business that I realized the impact my choices would make upon my family and our current lifestyle. We purchased the business on a Thursday, left for two weeks of franchise school in Michigan, and returned home to start making money. And as we drove into the parking lot behind our new business, the back door flew open and outstormed this woman in a fit of rage, tearing off her apron and throwing it in the air as she screamed, I've had enough! We watched as she started her car while almost running us over and with her gas foot to the floor managed to relocate one ton of crushed granite from one part of the parking lot to another. All we could do was watch the drama unfold like two lifelike statues frozen in time. We soon learned she was the shift manager and we were on our own. <laughs> Three years later, the business was sold and another chapter in the Malone family legacy was closed. Oh, I often think about what might have been had I chosen a less risky career, such as a chiropractor. Well, actually, I did choose that profession first. But just as we were loading the car to head back to Michigan for chiropractic school, our second child was about to be born early and my wife was confined to immediate bed rest. I had quit my job, sold our home, had several garage sales, sold our couch and kitchen table, but not our bed. Thank goodness. 
This is kind of beginning to sound like a country western song, isn't it? I had to go beg for my job back, convince the buyer of our house to tear up the contract, and it was a while before we could replace the couch and table. My longing to be a chiropractor was put on the shelf. I stayed with my current employer for the next few years and then jumped into my real estate career and entrepreneurship. I would not change a thing, but as each 10-year cycle of financial gain somehow ended up in financial loss as one chapter closed and another began, I wondered what life would have been like as a doctor of chiropractic. Could I have foreseen the lower back issues that started to plague me in my late 30s? Who could have known? I wonder what would have happened to our livelihood once I was unable to treat patients. You see, in our case, trial was waiting on both roads of travel. It was just which one would I choose to walk? Both or either would serve the purposes of earth life as we understand it. I think Matthew 7, 24 to 27, gives us good insight into the use of agency and lessons to be learned. As you know, Jesus taught in story from parables, and so those were not prepared to hear would hear. His messages were not always clear to the multitudes, but his intent was directed to all who would hear. At the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declared a parable of the wise man who built his home on top of a rock. And I quote, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Well, as promised, the rains, the floods, and winds of life will come upon us all in order to fulfill the purposes of God in preparing us for life after death. We have our agency as to how we will prepare and how we will react. We will address later in this book how those who are born into restrictive government rule or into extreme mental or physically challenged circumstances still have agency. In the parable referenced above, Jesus is teaching agency. He counsels those listening to prepare for the time when challenges will come upon them by developing their faith in something solid such as the word of God. And he asked them to follow his teachings and believe in something greater than the passing in thing or fad. He likens those who hold such belief to building a foundation of sand. If our faith is built only upon that which we can see with our eyes, then when the storms of life do come, we are most likely to fall, perhaps strike out at God, even other human beings, in reaction to and retaliation for our losses. Our own self-worth is certainly one of the most formidable 
casualties of this action. Right now, you are no doubt thinking of an instance in your own life, or perhaps something you've read where someone's agency was robbed from them by the agency of another. How far is that, you ask? How fair is that? Well, good question. No doubt, we will explore that condition later in the book, after you have had a chance, your agency, to open your mind to the answer. (laughs) Well, the material just presented only touches the surface of agency and its impact on trial. But maybe now you see a little clearer why this basic truth was worth fighting for in the pre-existence, even though some of Heavenly Father's children were lost in the process. So uh, we're just about about out of time. I just wanted to now just uh, tell you, I hope that this reading and commentary is helping you understand and get a grip of what trial is for. And and it, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that was placed upon this earth to, uh, to hurt us and to punish us, uh, but there is a purpose to it, and we're going to find out more about that. I'm going to do the best I can to use my experiences in fighting trial to help you understand how you too can succeed from the trials that are placed before you. So we'll end now in this uh, third segment of uh, episode five. We'll begin fourth, uh, the fourth segment or the, on the fourth part on the other side. See you there. And thank you for listening. My friends, thank you so much for spending your time with me today in discussing the sweetness of trial. Please join me in future episodes as we learn how to not only endure trial, but to win from it as we continue our journey through my book, The Sweetness of Trial.